Erev Tovin, good evening, everyone. We are in Parshas Vayikra in the Zera Shimshon in the Sefer. It's Daf Tess, it's Os Gimel, uh, section three. And the Zera Shimshon is going to discuss um, a subject that comes right out of the first two psukim in our Parsha of Parshas Vayikra, of course, beginning Sefer Vayikra. So let's uh, jump right in and read those two psukim and then get started in the Zera Shimshon. Pasuk Aleph, this is Perak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph in Sefer Vayikra. Vayikra el Moshe, and God called to Moshe, Vayadaber Hashem love, and God spoke to him, may Ohel Moed Lemor, from the Ohel Moed saying. Uh, that Pasuk, I'm just reading to get us into the flow, the Zerah is actually going to comment on the next Pasuk, Pasuk Beads. Daber el B'nai Yisrael, speak to uh, B'nai Yisrael, Amarta Alehem, and you should say to them, Adam Kiyakriv Mikem, a man who will bring from among you Korban Lashem, an offering to Hashem, min ha-behema, min ha-bokar, u min ha from the domesticated animals, from the, uh, from the cattle, that's a bokar, u min ha and from the flock, takrivu es korban chem, you should bring your offering. And then, of course, the Torah goes on to describe different kinds of sacrifices, different types of korbanos, and different types of uh, rules and laws, halachot, for those and procedures for those korbanot. So let's uh, look at the Zer Shimshon, who's going to start with uh, telling us uh, Rashi's comments on this pasuk, and then uh, get into analyzing Rashi's comments. Pasuk. The pasuk says, and we just looked at this. It's pasuk days. Adam kiyakriv mikem, a man when he will bring uh, uh, will bring close from among you. So the Zer Shimshon quotes Rashi. Pirish Rashi. Rashi explains. Kishe Yakriv, when he will bring close, the Korbonos Nedava Diber Ha'inya. This matter is talking about offerings of Nedava, of voluntary offerings. And we'll get back uh, in a moment or two to that word Nedava and, and, and what its specific usage is here in Rashi. So Rashi continues, Adam Lama Ne'amar, why? This is actually the next Rashi, the second Rashi on the Pusset. Adam, why did the Torah, Lama Nemar, why did the Torah use this word Adam? Ma Adam Harishon lo hikruv min because it wanted to teach us that just like Adam Harishon, the biblical Adam, did not bring offerings from anything stolen, shehakol hayashelo, because everything in the world belonged to him, right? Think about Adam Harishon. Uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't steal something from someone else because he, he, he was uh, there alone. So every, all the, he could bring a korban from anything he wished and would never have a problem of it being a stolen object. Also, you should not bring sacrifices, should not bring offerings from anything that is stolen. Until here is of the language of quote from Rashi. So let's just pause for a second and... Uh, and understand exactly what Rashi's saying before we get into the Zer Shimshon's uh, questions and analysis. Okay, so Rashi tells us two things. The first thing Rashi tells us is that when, uh, when this uh, Pusuk and this section of the Torah de- talk about korbanos, it's talking about a specific type of korbanos, namely nidava, voluntary korbanos. There are two ways that a person can make himself or herself uh, obligated to uh, bring a sacrifice. Mean, what I mean by that is there might be certain events that happen that the event itself obligates a person to bring a sacrifice. 
But putting that aside, let's imagine you just have a, a person going about their daily business, nothing is happening that obligates that person, nothing has happened that obligates that person to bring any kind of offering, right? No particular, no particular event, no particular holiday. Um, but that person can obligate himself or herself, a man or a woman can obligate themselves to bring a, a sacrifice if they make a neder, a vow, or if they make a, a nedava, a gift. And those two terms are actually very important to understand the difference between them for the purpose of understanding this piece in the Zerashimsha. If a person makes a neder, a vow to bring a sacrifice, what that, what that means is they're not referring to any specific animal. They're just making a general obligation to accepting upon themselves a general obligation uh, to bring a sacrifice. Okay, so a person might say, uh, and, and and, and perhaps something good happened in their life and they want to show appreciation to Hashem or perhaps they're concerned about something and they want to bring whatever motivates them. A person might say that they take upon themselves to, they obligate themselves to bring a sacrifice, right? They don't, that, that's a neder. So now they're obligated to bring a sacrifice. If a person on the other hand makes a nedava, that means they go over to a specific animal and they say I that the person obligates himself or herself to bring that specific animal as an offering, as a korban. That's called a nedava, a gift. And there is a very important difference between uh, those two situations and the, and the following illustration. Let's imagine the first guy who made the neder and said that he took upon himself to bring an offering then goes over and to a specific animal and says, okay, I, I have an obligation upon myself to bring a sacrifice. I'm designating this particular animal as the animal I'm going to bring. And let's imagine that animal dies before he has a chance. So the next morning he gets up, he wants to bring it to the base of Mikdash and the animal is dead in the barn, right? The law is that he has to find another animal because he hasn't fulfilled his obligation. He took upon himself an obligation and again, himself or herself, Took a, they, they took an obligation to bring a sacrifice in general. That was the obligation. Then this specific animal was designated. Animal died, you can't bring it. If anything happens that makes it impossible for you to bring, you have to fulfill the obligation you took upon yourself, the ned there, and bring another animal in the, in the place of the one that you designated. Okay. However, the person who made the nadava, the person who made the gift um, um, promise, in other words, they obligated themselves to bring a specific animal. From the start, they walked over to a specific animal and said, I'm going to bring this animal as a sacrifice. The next morning, if that animal is dead, then they can't bring it as a carbon. You know, that's a, that's a sad state of affairs and a disappointing state of affairs that the person won't be able to fulfill their, uh, their pledge to bring that animal, but the animal died. And they have no further obligation because they said, I'm gonna bring this animal. Well, now this animal is obviously cannot be brought as a sacrifice. So that's the difference between a neder, uh, a pledge for sacrifice, and a nedava obligation for a sacrifice. And I mention it here because as we see later on, that's going to become very important in the, in the analysis that the Zerah Shimshon is going to offer us. But for, for, for right now, let's just realize that Rashi tells us that the, the psukim we're dealing with right now, the Pusuk Bays that we read, about a person bringing a korban, Rashi says it's talking about a korban nidava, where a person went to a specific animal and said, I'm gonna bring this animal as a 
sacrifice. That's the case of a nidava, a gift, uh, a commitment to bring a gift of a specific animal. That was the first Rashi. The second Rashi focused on the word Adam, and the reason to Rashi focused on that word and asked why was this word used here is twofold. The first thing is the Torah didn't need to mention the word Adam or any word that, that means a man or a person. It could have just said Hamakriv, someone who brings a sacrifice, and then, it, and then it could have continued saying they should bring it from these animals, and then it could have continued on. It didn't have to say Adam. That's, that's point number one. And number two, in general, when we talk in the Torah about a person bringing a sacrifice, the word that's almost universally used is ish. Why here, Rashi says, did the Torah, first of all, use any specific word to identify a person? And why did it use Adam instead of ish? So Rashi answered, as we read a few moments ago, Rashi answered because the Torah wanted to hint to us or teach us a very important lesson that just as Adam, and that's why it used the word, Adam, just as Adam Harishon, just as the, as the biblical Adam um, brought all offerings from things that couldn't possibly be considered stolen, so too when we bring a sacrifice, we should make sure that it's not something uh, that could possibly be stolen. Good, that's Rashi. Now, let's move down to the second paragraph where the Zerashimshon is going to initiate a series of questions on what Rashi had to say. Makshin, the commentators ask, Lama Hefech Rashi. Why did Rashi switch the order of the words in the Psukim when he commented on them? Shemitchila Hayolo Lefaresh Milas Adam. First, Rashi should have explained the word Adam because it comes first in the Pasuk. Va'acharkach Ki Yakriv. And afterwards, he should have explained the phrase Ki Yakriv when a person, when a man brings an offering. Demire Bekorbanos Nedava. And Rashi could have said that that phrase is talking about offerings which are brought as nidava, as a gift offering, like we mentioned a few moments ago. So Rashi's, when you, when you, when you look back um, at the Pasuk, uh, it's very clear. If you go back to the first line of Os Gimel, of the section that we're doing, you'll see the quote from the Pasuk says, Adam ki yakriv mikem, a man, when he will bring from among you an offering. So Rashi says, so, so the Zerah Shimshon says Rashi should have commented first on the word Adam and then on the words Kiyakriv, but he didn't do that. Rashi commented the first Rashi on this Pasuk talked about Kiyakriv, and then Rashi talked about the word Adam. So he did it in reverse. For some reason, which we don't know yet, Rashi decided to first talk about um, the later words, Kiyakriv, and then go back and comment on the word Adam, which is exceedingly rare. That's Rashi always talks about the, the words in a Pasuk uh, in, in their order in, from the Pasuk. In the order they are in the Pasuk, that's how he comments on them. But here Rashi departed from that general practice and talked to, commented on the words out of their order, not in their order that they are presented in the Pasuk. That's question one. The ode, and another question, we can ask, Why do we need to learn this law about not bringing a stolen animal as a, as a sacrifice from the, this teaching about Adam HaRishon, the Halo B'Toras Kohanim, if we look in the Midrashim on Sefer Vayikra, the, the, each uh, book of the Chumash has a, uh, a specific book of Midrashim, uh, a different unique book of Midrashim about it when it talks about the Halachot, the laws of that 
that are in that Sefer, in that book of the Torah. And, and the one on Vayikra is called Torah's Koanim, or it's also called maybe more commonly Sifra. So it says, in the Medrash on Sefer Vayikra, Amru Chazal, the rabbi said, Korbano. It's from another word. It's from the word his sacrifice in a different pasuk. This tells us to exclude animals that are stolen. So the Zer Shimshon is saying, uh, why, are we, why did the Torah need to put in this word Adam here in Pasuk Beis of Sefer Vayikra to teach us that we shouldn't bring stolen korbanot when the, midr- when the, when the, when the Medrash on Sefer Vayikra says it actually comes from a whole different Pasuk where the Torah uses the word korbano, his sacrifice, and this excludes a stolen sacrifice because the Torah could have used the word sacrifice without saying his sacrifice. Why did it emphasize his sacrifice in that other Pasuk? To teach it must be his. It must be owned by the person bringing the sacrifice, which would exclude something stolen. So, so why, why do we have this teaching if we actually have that other teaching? The ode, Kra, and there's actually a third Pasuk that talks about, that teaches us not to bring uh, a stolen sacrifice. See, it is written, and this Pasuk doesn't come from the Torah. It comes from uh, of uh, uh, Sefer Yeshayahu, and it says, Sone Gezel Beola. God hates stolen things when they are brought as burnt offerings, as sacrifices. So that Pasuk clearly talks about, uh, about God not wanting us to bring a stolen sacrifice. And so the Zerashimshon in this little paragraph is asking, why do, did the Torah need, according to Rashi at least, did the Torah need to teach about Adam HaRishon and the fact that he never brought a stolen sacrifice to teach us not, about not bringing stolen sacrifices? We could have chosen from two other psukim, the one where it uses the word korbano, which is the choice of the Torah's koanim, uh, that tells us not to bring a stolen sacrifice. So we have the Pasuk in Yeshayahu, which talks about God hating uh, the Korbano. So basically, uh, uh, Zerah Shimshon is asking really fundamentally, why do we have three different psukim that are teaching us in the Torah, one in, say, for Yeshayahu, and how do they fit together? How do, they, how do we articulate these three psukim? Next question. The O, Mahu Hatam Shenosan Shehakol Hayashelo. Why do we give the reason regarding Adam HaRishon that everything was his? Why does it explicitly spell out that Adam HaRishon didn't bring a stolen sacrifice because everything belonged to him? Wouldn't it have been enough to just say Adam HaRishon didn't bring anything, offerings that were stolen, and you don't have to say anything more than that? Because we knew, of course, we know the circumstances that Adam HaRishon uh, lived in. We knew that everything uh, belonged to him and that if he brought a sacrifice, it couldn't have possibly belonged to another person. So why did uh, Rashi need to spell that out uh, about Adam HaRishon, that, that um, it couldn't possibly have belonged to someone else? That seems to be an obvious point and one we would have readily understood without Rashi spelling it out. Ube'emes, one more question uh, that Zerah Shimshon wants to get in before he begins to uh, answering, his, answering the questions. Ube'emes, and in truth, Shegam al-Hakra Gufe, on the Pusik itself about, uh, you'll see he's talking about this Pusik in Sefer Yeshayahu, that God hates 
uh, stolen things. Yesh Lahakshos, we can ask a question on that Pusuk. Not, not, so not just are we asking questions on the Pusuk here, Pusuk Beis and Sefer Vayikra, but we could also ask on the Pusuk and Sefer Yeshayahu. Demahu Haloshan Sone Gezel Beola. What exactly is this language that God hates something stolen uh, when it comes to burnt offerings? Im Issa de Corbono, if the Torah itself has already stated that a korban has to be his, has to belong to the person who's bringing it, lahotzi asagazel, to exclude uh, something stolen, a stolen animal, pshita, then it's obvious shish sone oso, that God hates the korban. In other words, if the Torah teaches us that God says, don't bring stolen animals, so we understand that God is opposed to that. That's not something he wants us to do. God, so to speak, hates uh, that process, that, that, uh, that uh, idea of bringing a stolen korban. We already know that. Um, so why did the Pesach in uh, Yeshayo have to state that God hates a stolen korban? The ode, and more so, lo yechashev, lo klal le korban. From that Pesach about korbano, from that teaching about it has to be his sacrifice in order to be valid, we see that if you bring a stolen sacrifice, it doesn't count at all for the person who brings it. From the words, the phrase of God hates a stolen sacrifice, Nira, it might appear, even though it could be brought as a sacrifice, even so, God hates it, which is a different implication, meaning that from the Pusik in the Torah, I would say, if a guy brings a stolen sacrifice, it doesn't count at all. It has to belong to him. Ownership has to be uh, a clear ownership has to be established. However, from the Pusik in Yeshayahu about God hating a stolen Corbin, it implies it almost seems to say a stolen Corbin can be brought, but God hates that. God doesn't go, isn't going to view that with favor for people who do that. Uh, so therefore, that's a little bit of a different kind of direction, a little bit of a different uh, meaning. And therefore, this thing also requires explanation. So let's pause here to see what's happened. Uh, the Zera Shimshon started with the Pasuk right there, Pasuk Beis, right at the beginning of our Parsha of Yikra, and then he brought in Rashi's commentary, and then he asked a series of questions uh, on, uh, Rashi's on Rashi's comments. Why were they out of order? Why did Rashi address the words out of order? Uh, why did uh, it specifically uh, need to teach about a stolen korban here when we have a Pasuk seemingly, you might say, a more, a more clear, a more precise teaching from the word korbano uh, later on. Uh, and then uh, why did Rashi specifically spell out that everything belonged to Adam Arishon? That was obvious, the Zerah Shimshon says, and we would have known it. And then lastly, the Zerah Shimshon asked a question about the Pusik and Yeshayahu and how it seems to give a little bit of a different uh, connotation than the, uh, than the Pusik of korbano and the Tot. So now the Zerah Shimshon is gonna uh, uh, build, a, a, uh, build a concept, build a theme, to answer all the questions. We are in the second column, second paragraph. V'yesh lomar, and we can say, demilas adam dehocha, the word adam here in our pasuk, demashma ma adam harishon lo hikriv min hagezel, that implies the comparison to adam harishon who did not bring uh, any kind of stolen offerings, kemosha pirish rashi, as rashi explained, who pirish lepasuk sone gezel baola? It is an explanation that goes along with the pasuk in Yeshayahu about sone gezel baola. Umeforish b'may kemayre, 
and it explains what that Pasuk is talking about. The e begezel mamish, because if we were talking about something stolen outright, if we were talking about a case where a guy went and to someone else's uh, backyard and stole, and, and stole their animal and then just brought it right to the base of Mikdash and tried to bring it as a sacrifice, pshita delo itzterich. Certainly we would not need any other psukim, meaning neither the Pusuk here uh, about Adam nor the Pusuk in Yeshayahu. We wouldn't need either of those two other psukim to learn that that case isn't going to be okay. The mikorbano nafka, because that is exactly what the word karbano, his sacrifice, is teaching us. It's teaching us that where you outright go and steal something from another person, you can't bring that as a korban. So the Zer Shemshon is already putting into place, are starting to build his answer. And, and the first step in that process is he wants us to separate in our minds the Pasuk about Korbano and our Pasuk here about Adam and the Pasuk in Yeshayahu about Sone Gezel Be'ola. So we should split the three Tzukim in our minds, kind of a one versus two situation. The Pasuk of Korbano that says his Korban is the source to say, is the source that teaches us that outright, something that is stolen outright. You steal an animal from another person, you try and bring it as a korban. Nope, it has to be the korban that has to belong and clear ownership from the person bringing it. It can't be something he stole from someone else. That Put that on the shelf. That's a solid teaching from the word korbano. So what is our Pasuk talking about here when it says, when it also teaches that Adam didn't bring stolen korbanos, so we shouldn't bring stolen korbanos. Zerah Shemshon didn't, hasn't taught us that yet. But what he has, has uh, taught, what he has said to us is, that's teaching you something different, not a clear-cut case of stealing. He'll tell us, he, he's foreshadowing that he's going to tell us what it is, but he hasn't told us yet. All he has told us is, it's separate and it's di a different kind of case. And so too, the Pusik in Yeshayahu is also talking about that kind of case, uh, which is different and it doesn't involve outright um, theft. Okay, let's continue. El but here in our pasuk about Adam and pasuk Beis in in uh, in our parsha, It's talking about money that stands in a situation of doubt, or property in this case, an animal that stands in doubt. Meaning, it's not an outright theft where person A took something that clearly belonged to person B. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about where the money or the item, or in this case, the animal, was mutal v'saf. It was, it was standing in a case of doubt. And he's going to explain what he means. And we say in those cases, this is a rule that's brought uh, in the Gemara. He's going to quote one of the Gemaras that discusses it in a moment from Bab Metziah which means that in, in um, certain circumstances, if there is a doubt about who owns money or property, in certain situations, the Gemara teaches us, we say that whoever possesses it, whoever owns that property or that money right now, stays with them, and the other person who is seeking it and thinking that it belongs to them, they have to bring a proof. They have to bring proof to take it away from the possessor, from the person uh, who owns it, the person whose uh, property the object or the money is in. That's called hamotzi mechavero. If you want to take something out from your uh, friends or from another person's property, all of haraya, then, then it's on you. It's on that person who's claiming it 
to bring a proof in order to be able to do that. And if the person can't bring a proof, then the property stays where it is in the, in the, uh, with the person who presently owns it. Kigon, for example, Hahid the Perchestimitsia, as we see in the eighth parak of Baba Metzia, in the following case, Hamachli para bechamor, a person exchanges a cow for a donkey. We'll get into that in a moment. The yolda and the cow gives birth. And the cow gives birth at a time when no one knows exactly when that happened. We'll, again, we'll explain the case in a sec. The buyer says, the person who owned the donkey and was exchanging his donkey for the other person's cow says, I think, I claim that the cow gave birth um, after I bought it, after I purchased it. You took my, I took the cow, and after that, the cow gave birth. So therefore, why is that an important uh, claim? Because that means that the, that person would get both the cow and the uh, calf that was born. And the person who owned the cow, the original cow, who was involved in exchanging his cow for a donkey, says, No, before I sold the cow to you, before I exchanged my cow for a donkey, the cow gave birth to a calf, and that calf therefore belongs to me because we hadn't yet exchanged our two animals. Case, according to the sages, the person who owned the donkey and is saying the owner of the cow, that cow that's in your stables and that has a calf uh, next to it right now, I want both of those things because they both belong to me. That person, uh, Olive Haraya, has to bring a proof that the calf was born after the exchange was transacted, after the, tra uh, after the exchange was finalized and legal. And this is the way uh, this, this case is decided in the Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, Simon Reishchav Gimel, Sham, and look over there. So let's go back and understand exactly what happened in this case. And, uh, and let's imagine we have, uh, we, let's, I'll use myself, let's imagine that I own a cow and I want to exchange my cow for another guy's donkey, right? Perhaps I have lots of cows, I have a dairy farm with lots of cows, and this particular cow maybe isn't producing as much milk as it used to, so, but I see a guy with a nice, strong, sturdy donkey, and so I say, hey, how do you feel about exchanging my cow for your donkey? The other guy has plenty of donkeys, but he could really use a cow. So he says, yeah, let's make the deal. So we make the exchange without the cow being present, okay? For example, let's imagine we're standing there, I'm standing next to him and he has his donkey with him. So we can do the exchange with the cow in my barn and the donkey's right here, he gives me the donkey, I take the donkey away from him, I perform a Kenyan, we make an exchange, a legal exchange, and, and now I own the donkey and he owns the cow. When we go back to the barn, we see that a calf has been born during the time that we were talking and schmoozing and finalizing the exchange. It is impossible in this case to know, unless, some, unless there are witnesses, but it's impossible for the two of us who weren't present, we weren't in the barn, it's impossible for us to know exactly when the cow gave birth. And again, there, that's a crucial piece of information because if the cow gave birth before the exchange, it's my calf and only the cow goes to the, don the donkey owner or the previous donkey owner. 
if the cow gave birth after we finalized the exchange, well, as soon as we finalized the exchange, I became the owner of the donkey and he became the owner of the cow. And then if the cow gave birth after that, then it's of course his calf. So what happens in that case? The person trying to take away the cow, the cow's in my barn, the guy, the original owner of the donkey who wants to take the cow from me has to bring proof. For example, witnesses, if there were people in the barn who saw when the, when the cow gave birth and they knew exactly the time that that happened, he has to bring proof that, that the, that the um, cow gave birth after the exchange was finalized. If he can't do that, if there were no witnesses and he has no proof, then I keep the cow and the calf because of this rule of hamotzi mechavero olav haraya. The guy who's trying to take it away from me, he has to, uh, in this case, we're referring to the calf in the barn, and he wants to get that from me. Of course, he gets the cow. He exchanges donkey for the cow. But if he also wants to get the calf, he has to bring proof. And if he can't bring proof, um, he doesn't get the calf. The calf stays with me. The Imkain, and if so, Zeha Egel Hanolad, this calf that was born, Birushuso Shel Mocher, in the uh, possession, while in the possession of the seller, in the, in, in the property of the seller, who shallow? It belongs to the seller. The lama who shallow? Why does it belong to him? Lefisha ein lechavero raya, because his friend doesn't have a proof that he can bring that shows that the calf should belong to him. Abel in hachinami. However, we all have to agree. Efsher shehu shall It is definitely possible that the calf belongs to the purchaser, and by purchaser we mean the guy who owned the donkey and exchanged it for my cow, it is certainly possible that he's the owner of the calf. We have no information either way. Because maybe the, cow, the calf was born after he made the exchange. In which case you could claim that the calf is stolen property in the hands of the seller. That's me. Let's think how you could claim that. I'm holding on to this calf because my, the person I made the deal with, the transaction with, the original donkey owner, doesn't have enough proof to prove that the calf was born after we made the transaction. But that's only a legal principle. That doesn't mean that factually speaking, the calf belongs to me because the calf actually could have been born after we made the transaction. And then it would 100% belong to the a donkey owner and the person would then, and he would therefore get the cow and the calf. However, we don't say that. We allow me to keep it. But if it's really the donkey owners and I'm holding on to it, I have property that belongs to someone else. And if the guy who sold his cow, in the case I described, that would be me, the original cow owner, let's say I now want to bring the calf as a sacrifice. I'm sorry, the korban chovoso, I want to bring a calf to fulfill an obligation that I made. This certainly, we, we certainly can't say that I'm not allowed to bring this as a korban. It's not stolen from the viewpoint of the law. Because, because he held it back in his hand with the permission of the Besden, right? The court can't look at me and say, you're an outright thief. You stole this calf. No, they ruled. It's their ruling. It's the halacha of hamotzi mechavero, olivaraya. It's that ruling that says I get to keep the calf. However, I am not the definitive owner of the calf. 
That's the problem. But the problem would be that I made an obligation on myself when I took the neder to bring a korban that, that definitely belonged to me. And when I bring this calf, even though I'm clearly, I haven't stolen it for sure, and I actually have this calf in my possession with the, with the ruling, with the, with the authority of the Beit Din, who's going to say, I keep it if, unless the donkey owner can bring a proof. Nonetheless, I'm not fulfilling my obligation because part and parcel of my obligation was to bring an animal that clearly belonged to me. And the calf does not clearly belong to me, which is a very unusual situation since the Besden rule, I get to keep the calf. However, in terms of the korban, it would be problematic. And the Zerah Shimshon is going to continue to explain this. Dumyo, this is similar, de amrinon the parakama de Chagiga, to a Gemara in the first parak of Meseches Chagiga, that states, Kol dover shebechova lo yovo ela min Every obligatory type of sacrifice can only come from chulin. From chulin means non-sacred property, regular things that a person owns that have no sacredness, no holiness, no kedusha. They weren't, uh, they're not, they have no status of kedusha. They weren't in any way uh, given a status of holiness or, or kedusha. That's chulin, uh, regular, individually owned property. Uh, that doesn't that was never designated for a sacrifice or anything like that. So if you have an obligation to bring a sacrifice, you have to make sure that the animal you're going to designate and bring is hulin, is from property that has uh, no sacredness already placed on it, no kedusha, no holiness already placed on it. The afkan, and so too over here, meaning just like the Gemara in, in, in uh, Chagiga is teaching us, that when you want to bring a korban, you have to make sure and verify that that animal has no previous kedusha, no previous sacredness or holiness that was placed on it. And it is you who are saying, I'm going to make this uh, animal that will be brought as a korban. You're putting that um, kedusha on it, that designation from ground zero, from scratch. There's no previous kedusha on this animal. So too, hachova sheyeshlo, so too here the obligation that a person has to bring when he makes a neder, a vow to bring a sacrifice, that he has upon himself. He has to verify and make sure that the animal is completely his 100% without a question. And if he brings an animal which there's any doubt about, for example, in our case of the calf, there's a doubt about exactly who owns it, even though I'm entitled to keep it. Still, there's a doubt. nidro. Then the person is not considered having fulfilled his vow. except from doubt. So if you do bring the calf as a korban, you 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 will be allowed to do so. However, uh, it it might you're, you haven't definitely fulfilled your vow. But what would happen if the owner of the cow, the original owner of the cow? Uh, who's uh, says, okay, I, they told me I can keep the calf, and now I'm going to designate this calf as a korban, as a gift, meaning I'm not putting upon myself the general obligation to bring a sacrifice. That's where I would make a neder, if we go back and remember what we said in the very beginning. I'm not taking upon myself an obligation, a general obligation to bring a sacrifice. I'm saying this specific animal, this specific calf, taking upon myself, to bring it 
as a sacrifice, then what would happen? Salkadatoch, you might think, Lomar, that we would say the korban of have, that that's considered a valid korban. That's, that's fine. There's no problem in that case to bring it. In the case of Nadova, you might think it would be fine to bring this, this specific animal because you designated this specific animal as opposed to having a general obligation upon yourself to bring a sacrifice. Mishum hachi, and it's because of this, these kinds of cases, ksiv, adam, that the Torah in Pasuk Beis wrote the word adam. Ma adam harishon lo hikriv menagezel, shehakol hayashelo, just like Adam Harishon did not bring any sacrifices from stolen property because everything belonged to him. What does that mean? He had no doubt at all about ownership. In any way, there was no question. There couldn't be a question about ownership when it comes to Adam Harishon because there were no other people who could conceivably make a claim that the animal he wanted to bring as an offering belonged to them. Dilma whom Michel Javero, that perhaps Adam had to think maybe this belongs to, uh, to, to someone else. That was not the case. So the Zer Shimshon is telling us the reason that it's this Pasuk here, where Rashi brings the teaching of Adam Kiyakrim, and the Torah teaches, uses the word Adam, Rashi says, to teach us that we have to think of Adam Arishon, is because the lesson is not to teach us that we can't go steal something. That we already know from a different Pasuk, from Korbono is to teach us that there has to be no conceivable doubt about the animal, the ownership of the animal we want to bring, just like by Adam HaRishon, there was no conceivable doubt, as the Zer Shimshon continues. So to you should never bring something that could possibly be considered stolen. The low men hagezel mamish, we don't mean something literally that you stole from someone else, as we mentioned, that is, is excluded. That possibility is excluded from the word korbano, the separate teaching, korbano below min hagezel. It has to belong to the person, sacrifices have to belong to the person bringing them and they can't be outright stolen. But rather, we're talking here about something which possibly could belong to someone else. And we don't need to teach this regarding when you take a neder and you have a general obligation to bring a sacrifice, as we mentioned before. Rashi tells us this is this pasuk is teaching us about where you want to bring a korban nedava, meaning you don't have a general obligation. You're just talking about this specific animal, in this case, the calf. That's what this pasuk is referring to. And therefore, we needed the Torah to use the word Adam Lomar to say, just like Adam Harishon brought things that could not possibly belong to someone else. Again, that's the key that the Zer Shimshon is teaching us, that, that the teaching of Adam is, it's not only that we can't bring a korban which we've stolen, but we can't even bring a korban in this case, which Bezdin said we get to keep because it could possibly belong to the other guy. That's the chiddush. That's the new law, the extension of the law of not bringing something stolen to the point where even if there's any doubt at all that it might not be mine, that I might not have 100% clear ownership, then I can't bring it as a korban. Va'af ha'kosav shel sone gezel ba'ola. 
And so too that Pasuk in Yeshayahu about Hashem hates stolen things. And when you bring sacrifices, it is also talking about these kinds of doubtful ownership cases. And a case like this, as we mentioned a few moments ago, the, the Beis HaMikdash would allow you to bring that animal as a korban. Why? Because you could produce a letter from the Bezdin saying, here's what happened with the cow and the calf and the donkey. And because of the rule of Hamotzi Mechavero, all of Araya and, and the other guy, the owner, original owner of the donkey, can't bring a proof. I can bring a letter that says this calf, I get to keep this calf. So the, the Beis HaMikdash would say, okay, if you get to keep this calf and you have a letter approving the verif verifying that, you can bring it as a korban. Nonetheless, in call nonetheless, since there is a doubt about the ownership, because as we said, the owner of the donkey might actually be, the original owner might actually be the true owner if the, if the cow gave birth after the transaction. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Sono, HaKadosh Baruch Hu hates that korban. So, so the Zerah Shimshon has, has um, developed for us again, an idea that takes us way beyond what we thought the original teaching uh, was. And, and let me explain. We thought the original teaching was that you can't bring something stolen. So the Zer Shimshon, of course, confirms that. And he says, that is absolutely true. There's no doubt about that. And that's a separate Pusuk. That's not what we're talking about here in Pusuk Bays of Parshas Vayikra. No, that's the word carbono, and that teaches us if you have an outright stolen, you steal something from an animal from another person, you can't bring it as a carbon. Great, that's true. Now, though, we're going much farther than that, much further than that, and we're saying that even if there's a suffix, even if there's any doubt about the ownership of this animal that you want to bring as a carbon, and even if the Beis Hamikdash would accept this animal as a korban, because you can show that it was, you were entitled to hold on to it, like the case of the calf, even so, there's a doubt, and you shouldn't bring it as a korban uh, because of that doubt, and that's what the Pusik is teaching us, and that's what the Pusik, and when I say the Pusik, I mean our Pusik here about Adam HaRishon, who, when he brought it a, a sacrifice, it couldn't possibly belong to anyone but him, so therefore there was no doubt about the ownership, so too, that's true of all the korbanos that we bring. And if we do, if a person does bring a korban from something with doubtful ownership, the Pusik in Yeshayahu comes along to say Hashem hates uh, a korban like that. So um, certainly there's a lot to see here from the limud itself that the Zer Shimshon is giving us. And of course, the, a major takeaway in terms of the, the Musra of it all is that we have to be exceedingly careful, as all of us are. None of us would, would ever go into someone's yard and steal something. We're not, we're not Ganovim, we're not Gazlanim. However, are we very careful and very mocking and very particular about situations where there's doubtful ownership? And so the Zer Shimshana says, be exceedingly careful even in such cases to make sure that before you say something is definitely yours and you can have full rights to it, absolutely verify that there's no possible other ownership involved in, in, with that particular money or that particular property. Yashukov to everyone for uh, uh, joining in the learning tonight.